humanities and social sciences. In this episode, I'm joined by Vince Massara, who is going to be discussing teacher wellness and well-being, strategies to improve teacher well-being, and how he's delivering an integrated humanities and English curriculum at his school. So I'm joined in this episode uh, by Vince Massara. Welcome, Vince. Hey, Marco. Nice to be here. Well, thank you for... uh, coming on the show. It's always good to um, get a wide variety of educators on the uh, on the podcast. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. It's going to be a lot of fun. This episode will be uh, delving into teacher well-being, teacher wellness, um, how to identify um, the need to start switching off and how to switch off, so some strategies there. And then we'll have a look at how you're integrating um, humanities and English curriculum um, in your uh, in your school um, before we do that, can you give us a bit of a background of who you are and what you do in education? Yeah, of course. I'll save you the um, I was born at a very young age spiel and skip a few years. Um, I've started teaching in 2013, um, have been predominantly doing um, English and humanities throughout that time. Um, also throughout my career, I've noticed sort of teacher wellness and um, just general teacher health as something that's, you know, often almost forgotten about um, just with, you know, the busy lives that we all lead and the busy schedules that we have. So it's um, been my current crusade, if you will, to um, kind of combine those two things and try and just help people out. And I'm, yeah, loving every minute of it so far. Now, um, you mentioned that you saw a need for people to um, to sort of switch off and, and you saw a need for, there, there was a lack of, uh, well-being out there. What what have you noticed specifically? Like, what what have you come across specifically? I don't need you know I don't need any um you know I don't need to go too personal or anything. But what have you noticed in your own context that you thought, wow, this is this is actually something really important? Oh, for sure. Um, it's it's the old teacher burnout, isn't it? You see it in every staff room, every staff room that I've been in, and you know all of my friends that are teachers have told me stories of it as well. The the teacher burnout that you get at the the end of every term and especially the end of every semester when it gets to report writing and whatnot as well and just how busy it can be. And, you know, we spend so much time, um, you know, planning, going to meetings, meeting with parents, meeting with other staff as well, marking, and that's without even, you know, teaching the bloody classes. So it's it's a lot of work and a lot of plates to be spinning at the same time. So they're the main sort of things and, I thought there was a little bit into it and I conducted some research earlier this year with just literally just a Google form and a lot of teachers that I found at random. Um, And we found out that 90% of teachers that I surveyed were too drained after work to focus on their health. So nine nine out of 10, that's huge. Okay, so let, let's now look at this specifically. Let's delve deeper into this whole idea of teacher well-being. So um, if we will go through it, we'll, we'll take it in a few steps, sort of a little bit of a flowchart, um, if you will. So firstly, what are the signs of that burnout you mentioned? So before we start looking at strategies to deal with it, how can people start to identify that they're at, um, uh, they're at risk of burning out? Yeah, of course, of course. The first, the first sign that I could would probably recommend you guys looking out for is, for starters, just a lack of time for the things that aren't teaching. 
Um, we all have things we need to do at home and we all do them. But it, if it is overpowering spending time with your loved ones and your family and your friends and focusing on your health, and if you can't do that because you're trying to do too much, you need to sort of take a couple of steps back. And like you said, um, it's almost things that you have to watch out for. It can be pretty hard to find it at the start because, well, they say it's really hard to read the label when you're inside the jar. And it's, it couldn't be more true. Um, when you're, especially when you're overworked, you feel like you're behind and you're, you know, succeeding so slowly that you're actually sort of failing. And then you're trying to sort of chase your tail and you're trying to catch up on what you think you're failing at. And that just gets you even more and more busy. Um, so that's probably the first sign is when you're, you don't have that time to spend with your family and your friends and, it's not only if you have something really big coming up, but it's, you know, it's happening every day. Yeah, and it tends, it tends to then snowball as well. So something, you know, it picks up something small and then eventually over a few days or a few weeks or even a few terms, by the time you get to the end of the year, you find you're so heavily burdened that it's just impossible to shake it off anymore because it's just too too much then. Oh, exactly right. And like you said, it does. Snowballing is the just the perfect term for it because you start to, it may start off as one little thing and then next thing you know, that kind of snowballs and then, you know, the time that you would usually spend, I don't know if it's doing some summative assessments, um, if that's taken over, then the time you would usually spend planning, you're not doing that planning anymore and then you have to do that planning at another time and you know, it does sort of snowball into itself and it feeds on itself and it can be, it can be quite damaging. And as teachers, we're always, we, you know, it's really easy to be the type that has trouble sort of stepping away. And, you know, a lot of the times you don't want to take that sick day that you need um, because, you know, you don't want to have a day with your students not having, you know, achieving all that they can achieve. And I don't know what it is about most teachers, but we sort of feel that if we're not there, they're not like, you know, the whole world's going to stop functioning. I don't think it's just that. I mean, it's definitely that, but I think it also might be that it's the fear of your being seen as a bad teacher or a poor teacher as well. If you oh, take, take a day off to focus on your um, on your mental health, I mean, we're all fine to take a day off if you've got gastro or if you've you know got a cold or that sort of stuff. But if you know if if you were to take a day off to focus on your own mental health, I'm I'm you know I'm going to go on a limb and say almost everyone will think that they don't want to do it because it's you'll then be seen as, oh, well, then they're, they're just, you know, they're just a bad teacher then. Why why can't they just, you know, get their time management done better? They obviously don't care or something like that. So I think the models would be that stigma of they're not taking the mental health days or, or a sick day for a mental health day because of that. Oh, 100%. And it's almost a, it's almost a badge of honour as a teacher to be incredibly busy. Like if you go into the staff room tomorrow and you ask around and, almost every second teacher when you ask how they're going, probably 50% will say that they're busy will be like the first thing that comes out of their mouth. They're, you're right. It's, it's kind of like a badge of honor. And, and that, that's something that really uh, that really bugs me. And it bugs a lot of people in terms of we really need to stop that, um, you know, I guess the, the teacher martyr, you know, trope that um, in order to be a good teacher, you also need to be, um, you know, you, you've got to be under pressure 24-7. That's the only way to be a good teacher. Yeah, I com- I completely agree. That is almost the common thought. And um, I'm definitely not alone, I'm assuming, in saying that there's been days in the past where I've been 
incredibly busy, but I've got back home and, you know, I haven't actually achieved a hell of a lot. So being busy doesn't, you know, always equal um, productivity. Yeah, exactly. And if anything, um, if anything, what makes it, you know, the mark of a good teacher is being able to recognize that my students can't, you know, get the best education if I'm not looking after myself as well. Well, that's it. We're, we're the role model at the front of the room at the end of the day, Marco. We need to sort of set the scene and set the example. And if we're running around and we can't put our best self forward, how are we expecting our students to do the same thing? Exactly, and particularly in a uh, particularly in a year twelve setting as well, where um, you know they they're the students are under a lot of pressure, um, you know. And Danny Victoria, they're the VCE, and up in Queensland, the end of year, you know, the end of year exam, and you know, all around Australia, we've got this point in time exam that basically tells students how good they are at something. Um, the amount of pressure on students is is immense, and you know, if if we want to particularly be a good role model as you mentioned for students in that situation as well we need to be able to show them as well that um you know it's okay to to switch off every now and then and and relax a bit because you're not going to get you know you're not going to achieve success like you said if you're too busy or too stressed to be able to do so oh that's yeah it's a hundred percent right and i was actually this came up in one of my classes the other day and uh, i was chatting to them and they're a very much an overachieving bunch and they're always doing every, like the amount of like they must be living off about three hours sleep I swear some nights with their part-time jobs and sports and everything and uh, I sort of pulled one aside and she was a little bit sleepy and I was like look you know sometimes you need to you know if you're driving a car sometimes you sort of need to pull over and get fuel and you're not actually going anywhere for those couple of minutes but that couple of minutes of time out and that refueling will ensure that you can, you know, drive for a hell of a lot longer. And we're the same, Marco. Like we just can't keep going and going and going. Well, exactly. You've got you've got that um that cliche saying, you know, the you can't uh fill from an empty bucket or, you know, you can't um um you know you can't uh what's that saying about the candle? Uh you you can't light oh, from a from a lit lighting candle a, or something. Lighting it at both ends, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, so we've looked at, okay, so we've looked at the signs to look out for. So, you know, lack of sleep and, um, and you know, pulling away from um, non-work-related duties. So, you know, spending less time with your family or that sort of stuff. Once once we've realised, okay, look, I, I need to stop, you know, people realise, okay, I think I'm at risk of burning out. What can they do? What are some strategies you can offer some really overworked, overtired, maybe underappreciated educators who are right now thinking I need to do something to save my career or, you know, just to, to help me um, unwind a bit. What strategies can you offer? Yeah, of course. The best, the best part is Marco that to change, to make these changes, it's, it's not a, it's not a big process. It's a big process because it's different. Um, and it is simple because it's simple doesn't necessarily mean it's easy all the time, but it is definitely a simple decision. The good, the best bit is that we as, as humans, well, there's a couple of things for starters, we make the assumption that everything matters the same. And we've kind of been told that, and you write things on your to-do list and they're not really prioritized that well, if at all. And the little busy work that you have to do is on that to-do list with the things that are actually really important 
And sometimes, Marco, just chipping away at those couple of important things will make everything else so much easier. Um, so it's just getting your priorities in order, making sure that you can prioritize what you need to do, what's actually important, and then making habits around completing those. And the best bit is when it comes to habits, uh, we basically tell ourselves that, you know, we need the willpower to change our lives, but we don't. We need the willpower just to change our habits and our habits will end up changing our life. So if we can focus on something for long enough for it to become a habit, then it sort of kicks into autopilot and then we just keep living our life. Okay. So are there, are there any, um, any specific strategies you can, uh, you know, one or two strategies you can mention for people to start to break those habits? Cause there are, they are something that's really hard to, um, to break, but I'm, I'm assuming just like things like quitting smoking or, you know, you can't sort of go cold Turkey to, to much success. You know, you can't just, you know, stop marking on a weekend and start spending time with family because then you might find that work starts to snowball again. Are there any strategies you can offer to sort of make those small changes to start to break those habits? Yeah, 100%. Uh, the first thing we do, the first thing I recommend doing is once you've picked what needs to be done is just setting setting achievable goals. So for example, um, well, I'll ask you, I'll ask you a question, Marco, how much marking would you do just on average for a, or how much work would you do at home for a, just on a regular weeknight after school? Oh, look, I don't even think that's quantifiable anymore at this stage <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of the amount of hours. Yeah. You know, okay. so there, there's so much, there's so much that goes on and, you know, I'm, and I'm, I'm going to be very honest here. I'm not immune to, um, you know, to, to, to this issue. This is something that I've, you know, I struggle with, um, on a daily basis and, you know, every, every week or every term I sort of say, you know, it's going to be different next term, next term, I'll do less work at home and I'll spend more time with the family. But then, like you said, the habits, they're still there. It keeps happening. Yeah, exactly. And is there one thing that you think without sort of wanting to get too personal, is there one thing that you think that you need to sort of focus on to sort of counterbalance, whether it be, I don't know, even if it is just an extra bit of time with your family or your friends. Yeah, look, I, th I think that is something that I'm working on my my work life balance, and I think I'm trying to make some small some small steps um, during the work day to make that uh, to make that workload easier when I get home, or to try and remove that workload at home altogether. Um, but yeah, ultimately, you would like to get, and it's not really a work life balance. I think I think I saw someone on Twitter refer to it uh, before as work life harmony instead where you're never going to get a balance. You're never going to get a perfect balance of work and life, but you can at least try and make it harmonious at, at the very least. Yeah. And the, the thought about it all being sort of balanced in quiet, like sort of suggests that you can do both at the same time when, you know, if you're trying to do two things at the same time, you're kind of failing at both. It's more of when you're using that time for school, making it a hundred percent blocked out for school. And that way, when, you have that time for your family, you can be fully invested in that. Um, that's what it really comes down to. And then if we can just set achievable goals for it as well. So for example, if um, for it, like you said before, if you're just going to stop marking on the weekend, um, it's not always achievable. And if you don't do that, for example, if you manage to spend time with family and friends all of Saturday and it gets to Sunday and, you cave in and you do it, you're going to feel like a little bit of a failure, even though that you've managed to do a day and a half 
when you probably thought that was impossible earlier. So set achievable goals, even if it's only, you know, I'll have an, an hour extra of quality time with my family or my friends, or I'm going to, you know, go for a 15 minute walk, something you can definitely, definitely tick off and let the wins build up from there rather than trying to achieve something that's almost unattainable straight off the bat. And then just watch those little wins um, add up. And we said snowballing when it comes to doing work, but it can also snowball the other way. If we set those little wins, we're going to watch that. Even if it's only, you know, your mind's a bit cluttered and instead of you want to do some practicing some meditation or anything like that. And if you just set yourself one minute, something that you can definitely do and that one minute might stretch into five and that might stretch into 10 rather than setting yourself for an hour from the start. And then you might do half an hour, which is awesome, but you think you failed because you've set the bar too high to begin with. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So really aim set small achievable goals that basically get the little wins, little baby steps. Like you said, you can't change habits overnight, but you need to set some sort of process to start changing that least. Yeah. And the best, and that's it. The best bit is when it comes to setting those habits, it all comes down to just attaching to habits we already have because Marco, we already have habits that we do every day. Um, Every single morning we have a set routine and, We may not see it as a habit, but I wake up and I, you know, have a shower, get changed, have breakfast, brush my teeth and go to work. And that's, I've done that for so long. It's become a habit and it's become something I don't have to think about. And a really good way is to attach what we're trying to achieve into the habits we already have. So for example, if, um, if exercise or the gym is your priority because you want to get back into shape, then attaching it to one of those habits. So it could be um, just after I wake up, I will go to the gym or something along those lines. Set it at a time that you already have a habit and attach it to that rather than sort of saying, I will go to the gym for an hour at some time today. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, look, this has been fantastic advice for uh, for teacher well-being. Um, I thought maybe we can, uh, we can uh, shift... Um, uh, the discussion across to what you're doing in your uh, in your humanities classroom now, if that's okay. Yeah, of course, of course, I'd love to. Now, I know I spoke to you um, off air, and uh, you mentioned you're doing something a bit unique, um, or probably not unique around Australia, but something unique, um, definitely to a lot of places um, in regards to how you guys deliver your content. Yeah, so I teach at a Year Nine campus. I'll give a shout out to the school. Uh, McKillop College in Werribee. Hi, guys. So I teach at a Year 9 campus and we're fortunate enough to have all of the Year 9s rotate through our campus during the year. They sort of send us, they spend a semester at main campus and with us. And when they're with us, we have a much smaller environment and we deliver the content in an integrated curriculum. So it's predominantly... English and humanities based, but there is a little bit of um, science and RE and everything else in there as well. But it's the units are predominantly humanities and English based. All right. So can you give us some examples of how you're integrating the humanities and English um, in particular? Yeah, of course, of course. So for example, the unit that I taught last term 
was about migration to Australia. And from there, we got to look at the history and basically Australia's history in general. Um, from there, the students interviewed a family member or a family friend or a migrant, and they created a sort of digital representation of that story. Um, from there, we read Ando's Happiest Refugee autobiography, and the final assessment was almost a comparative essay between the novel that we'd studied and the digital story that the children had created for themselves. So it really took parts of parts of researching Australia's history and migration history, um, used the interview skills that we took with English and then studied a text and which, you know, covered the content that we'd been doing. And then the final assessment was English-based and it was, yeah, writing a full-blown essay. Um, now, I know that you do a lot of work. Uh, let's go back to wellbeing. I'm sorry, I'm jumping around here. but Yeah, no, um, you're fine. I know, you do, fine. I know you do a lot of work for wellbeing for teachers, but how, how are you bringing this wellbeing sphere to your students as well? Yeah, that's the best bit. It's, I've found it to be so, um, just so encouraging and so, so easy because, like I said, this, like a lot of our students are just as time poor as we are. Um, if you've got someone who's working and then they're doing their homework as well, and they might have a couple of other extracurriculars and, you know, especially if they're sharing a work, a computer at home with another sibling or something along those lines, um, they might not get a lot of chance to do work at home. So really setting all of this, this habit setting and just prioritizing in general of what the most important things to do are, um, I found a lot of my students were just sort of writing down what they needed to do and then just, you know, having a crack at doing that list rather than sort of really like sifting through and asking themselves, like, if I had to do one thing from this list that would make everything else easier, like, which one is it? And that's the one you should be doing first. That's, you know, that's the one that's most important. That's the priority. And funnily enough, it's usually the one you least want to do. Yeah, norm normally the one that the least want to do is obviously sometimes also the hardest one or the most time-consuming. But once you knock that one off, that could be that uh, small win you need to be able to do all the other ones so much easier as well. Yeah, well, a hundred percent, and you need to sort of get those done because our, you know, our willpower isn't exactly a infinite source. It's almost like we'll go back to the the empty bucket sort of scenario we we're talking about before. It's the willpower is a bucket of water. And if you sort of spend your day at work and you have so many decisions, you're either it's for the students, they're at school and then they're hanging out at lunchtime and they're just using little bits of willpower all throughout the day. And it gets to, it might get to late at night by the time they get to chance to do their homework. And you know, that bucket's empty. They're not really going to have the motivation and the drive to achieve everything on that list. So it really comes down to, uh, finding what the number one priority is and finding the time to do it and make sure that time is blocked out. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think um, I, I read somewhere on, um, on on Twitter, someone put it up or it may have been on um, some other social media posts, but someone was writing uh, about teacher well-being and teacher wellness and basically along the lines of if you're working for the holidays, as in you're working and every day you think, oh, there's this many days for the holidays, then really there's there must be something wrong with your well-being. Well, yes, a hundred percent. If you're, if a hundred percent you're at work for the whole reason of to look forward to the time when you're not at work and you're counting down the days like that, there's something going on. 
Um, so that's because, you know, there's there's talk about how much holidays that we get. And I'll tell you what, we're still at work for a hell of a lot more than we're on holidays. So you've really got to get that right. Yeah, and, and those holidays um, aren't really holidays. They're, they're no. working holidays, if anything. They're preparing yeah. for the next term's worth of work or offering classes to students outside of outside of normal hours to make sure that they get the best. That's it. And the amount of work that we're, um, so many colleagues are doing um, at home and over weekends and everything, the holidays are almost time in lieu um, with just so many hours rocked up during the, um, during the school term. And like you said, you're always doing something. It's extremely rare that you get even one of the two-week breaks where you don't have something yeah. to do. There was actually an article um, um, that came out. I'm not sure if you saw it, but um, it actually showed. Uh, it, it was it was set in the UK, though, so I'm sure it'll be much you know much the same here. That, um, like you said, there's all the talk of oh, but you only work nine to three, and you've got all those holidays. But the article is looking at even with all the work, um, all the extra work we do during the term, the holidays aren't actually. I don't know. Use the term of you know the holidays are almost time in lieu, but the holidays actually don't make up for all the extra hours you do throughout the term. So they're not even time in lieu. They don't even match up to that amount of, of time. Um, and that, again, was one of the reasons why why teachers were burning out was they look forward to the holidays, but the holidays aren't even, you know, the same amount of time that they've put in over the term on top of what they're normally doing. Well, that yeah, I completely agree. So, and you get to the holidays and especially if you take that sort of, if you're looking forward to the holidays so much, you usually get to them and, because we've all been there, we've all had a break where we're just so just relieved that it's finally come and you take that massive exhale and next thing you know, that's one week of the two's already done and you've barely even started holding. You're not, you're not even back at term and you're already sort of behind. So you've got to sort of get back into it again. Yeah, and again, and then, and then that's when the snowball starts to happen again. Yeah, exactly right. And then you can get, you know, next thing you know, it's it's only week two or three and you're almost facing it again. Exactly, yeah. Um, well, look, Vince, before we before we wrap up, are there any final words you want to leave the uh, listeners with? Um, yeah, just make sure you're setting those right habits. Um, I've got a little um, little treat for the listeners, if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, cool. So we've spoken a lot about um, teacher well-being and habit setting, and I've actually got a guide to setting habits when you're a teacher. So if you just look up vincemassara.com, that's V-I-N-C-E-M-A-S-S-A-R-A.com slash humanities, and there'll be a nice little freebie for you. Look, I'll, I'll make that link available to the, um, to the listeners as well through the uh, info section of this episode uh, for them to be able oh. to find it a bit easier as well. Perfect. Well, look, um, thank you very much for giving up your valuable time to have a chat for the podcast, Vince. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Vince Massaro, thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Marco. Thank you for listening. To continue the conversation, find us on Twitter at hashtag HouseChat. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. AEON.net.au